Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 47 of the Book Cougars, two middle-aged women on the hunt for a good read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. And it just literally started raining just as we pushed the record button. Yes. And I'm, I'm pretty lucky. I have this osprey nest right outside my window, and I don't ever even have to check the weather. I can just watch their activity <laughs> in the morning. And this morning, the male osprey spent the whole morning grabbing these huge sticks and kind of, you know... Um, getting the nest in order, which to me means a storm is brewing. And sure oh, enough. Yeah, look at that. Is, are we supposed to get a storm or just rain? What well, you know, it's a it's a storm, okay. you know, a rainstorm, yeah, but no, okay. not like a, you know, <laughs> not hurricane. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, so, you know, April showers bring May flowers. That's right. right? We're just a few yeah. days away from May, and we yes. have been celebrating National Poetry Month all, all month. month. All April. It's been yes. so much fun. Yes. For those of you who might just be tuning in for the first time every day in april we've had a friend share a video of them reading a favorite poem and we've posted it on our youtube channel and then shared it on social media and we just want to thank everyone who contributed a poem and those of you who are watching the poems and liking the poems it's just been such a fun way to celebrate national poetry month it really has and it's been fun to see what people choose to read and then I just enjoy watching people recite poetry, mm-hmm. you know, and how they interpret the poem. Yeah. And we've had authors contribute, friends, professors. Professors, podcasters, bloggers. Yeah. Vloggers. Vloggers, exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. So it's been really fun to see just the variety of people's backgrounds and, and everything. And and I have to say, I was surprised that we didn't have more repeat in some ways, I, n- no poems were repeated, but we did have two Walt Whitman poems and then two Mary Oliver poems. Yeah. And I thought yeah. those two are like kind of the quintessential American poets, too. Yeah. When you think it makes about it. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then some esoteric people that I had never heard yeah. of, which is always fun to be yeah. introduced to somebody new as well. And two poems in French. Yes. By French poets, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. So we're going to leave you with a poem. Right? That yes. we're going to read together. It's Yes, it's a two-person poem. What did I do with my poem? <laughs> oh, my gosh, Emily. I just had the darn thing. Oh, there, oh, there it, is. it is. Okay. Yeah. okay. So it's a two-person poem, a two-voice poem, as they call them. And this one is kind of special because I think in some ways it's about two friends <laughs> <laughs> who need each other. Just like the book cougars need each other, but in a much... Uh, anyway, I'll shut up, and we'll just read the poem. No, I think that was a lovely introduction. <laughs> so the poem is called... Opposites Attract. I am Batman. I am the Joker. I am a hero. I am a villain. I, I have, have secrets. Every day I fight crime caused by the Joker. Every day I perpetrate crimes which are solved by Batman. We We are are total opposites. I am humble. I crave attention. People admire me for my work. People fear me for my work. I have a loyal sidekick. I wish I had a sidekick. Without the Joker. Without Batman. I am nothing. That's great. I also think it's hilarious. Chris texted me last night and she said... Don't think about this. Just answer, Batman or Joker? And I said, Batman. And she was like, great. And then I get this. She, she texts me this poem. And I'm like, isn't that hilarious? Because it's also quintessential upholder versus rebel, right? 
And oh my god, that's so funny. <laughs> we've talked about this in the past. That's Gretchen Rubin um, has these four tendencies that she talks about. And uh, you can do the quiz. I think it's GretchenRubin.com. Mm-hmm. I'll put it in the show notes. And I am the quintessential upholder. And I am the rebel. Right. And so Chris is the Joker. I'm Batman. I just think that's hilarious. That's totally funny. And, you know, we don't know who the author is of this poem. And if we find out, we'll definitely put that in the show notes. Um, But we thought that would be fun, too, as a way to share poetry with even, like, little kids Mm -hmm. who are into Batman. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of poetry out there for everyone. That's right. It has very many different disguises that's mm-hmm. how i think of poetry yeah I didn't, you know that was kind of funny that i said it that the way disguises thinking of batman and robin <laughs> but um you know it really does yeah it, it can be fun it can be serious you know all sorts of things so Absolutely. yes so thanks again to everyone who contributed a poem for our national poetry month celebration yeah and then also the edgars were last night yes. as we record this is friday the 27th of april edgars were awarded last night in New York City. In New York City. I think it's hilarious because me, the the one of this group that doesn't read many mysteries, actually read the winning book this year. Did you really? Bluebird, yeah. Bluebird by yeah. Attica Locke? Yeah. It yeah. Was, yeah. I predict it will be made into a movie, but it was, I, it was a good read. I enjoyed it, and I just oh. thought it was hilarious when it was announced that it was like, oh, I've read that. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you remember what it was about? I do. Okay. Yeah. Can you give a little bit? Oh, I can try. I mean, I remember that it was, um, it's a, definitely a book that deals with race Mm -hmm. and it takes quite a bit of it takes place at a restaurant. Some bodies are discovered in the back and I believe it was an interracial couple Mm -hmm. was at the, the crux of the, the murder where I think a black man was murdered. Or was it a white woman that was murdered? I don't okay. remember the story it's very coming, well. Come back, it's coming back a little bit yeah. from you talking yeah. about it before. Yeah. Okay, cool. I just and there was historic, you know, like a lot of history about the family and um, with race with a very powerful white family. I think and it was took place in the South. I don't uh-huh. remember exactly which state, but because right. the cover is kind of cool, it has a picture yeah. of a road and then like a star, like a, not really a sheriff's badge, but it has maybe that connotation. Oh of it. right, because there's a gentleman who's on suspension, oh, a sheriff okay. who's on suspension, but then he gets mixed up in trying to solve the mystery. Hmm. That's right. I remember that. It's It was good characters, is what I remember about the book. Okay. And she's a writer for a television show. Yeah. Oh, okay. Is it Empire? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Don't quote me on that one. But um, So she's a television writer. So the book definitely reads. It has good pacing. Mm-hmm. It reads like it could be a television show or a movie. All you right. Know. Very cool. Yeah. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm excited that a woman won mm-hmm. and an African-American woman. Yeah. And... Um, and I remember it being a good read. Now, what about the debut? Because you were, you had your yeah, you, know, you were reading some of the debut. I novels. was so the first uh, best first novel is the title of, of, of the category. So I did read Tornado Weather by Deborah Kennedy and Dark Chapter uh, by Winnie M. Lee. The other books I have a arc of Lola, which is another one, and then uh, I got from the library Idaho and She Rides Shotgun. She Rides Shotgun by Jordan Harper is the book that won, and yeah. I haven't read it yet. So. I know, and I looked it up on Goodreads. I was kind of following the Edgars last mm-hmm. night, which is not like me at all, but I was hashtagging Edgars, <laughs> and, um, and 
the, it, it seems like that book's maybe written in a very unusual format or something. I okay. peeked at it briefly on Goodreads, right. so yeah, it, it looks like it would be an interesting read. All right. Well, we'll see if I read it. I don't know. I kind of lost steam on that. That's... <laughs> Like, why I was such a crappy graduate student was, like, I would get really interested in something, and then I would do it, and then I'd move on. Like, I love making lists of things I'm going to read, but then following through, it's kind of like, maybe I just like to make the list and look at the books. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, so. (laughs) There's a lot of books. I mean, it's not like you don't then read something else. It's just, you know, you change your direction. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I'm a, what would you call that? An eclectic reader? A... Free range reader is what Andy Adestella's revenge was had been her tagline for a while on her blog anyway. Free range reading, I think, which I like. Yeah, I like that too. Um, a couple of the other categories, real quick. We had best paperback original, which was won by Anna Mazzola for The Unseeing. Best fact crime went to Killers of the Flower Moon. The Osage Murders and the Birth of the FBI by David Gran, which I know I've seen tons of people talking about and reading. It does look really good. And my book club, two of the people listened to that on audio audio, and said it was, del- I was about to say delicious. <laughs> oh my gosh, I must be hungry. Said it was wonderful okay. and a really good listen. All right. And then uh, best critical slash biographical went to... Lawrence B. Jackson for his book, Chester B. Himes, A Biography. Hmm. I'm not sure who he was. No, We can look into that. Uh, Best short story. Okay. This went to a short story from New Haven Noir, which was edited by Amy Bloom. New Haven is our neighboring city. And the best short story went to Spring Break, which was by John Crowley. Do you remember it? I do. And I took down my copy of New Haven Noir. Just to revisit it, and that was the story that I liked the least. Oh, that's in a so book. funny! It was a futuristic type story oh. that I thought I just didn't have any emotional connection to it at all. Hmm. I honestly, I thought it was a little trendy hmm. in in some ways. Um, so yeah, but it won. How interesting! Yeah. When I saw that, I definitely thought of you. Mm-hmm. Huh. Young adults went to Long Way Down by Jason Reynolds. Now, that beat out The Hate You Give, which was also up, which we'll be talking about later. Mm-hmm. And then they, they have some other um, awards as well. There's a Raven Award, which is given to a, a usually a non-writer who, well, a non-mystery novel writer, I should say, who has contributed to the field in some way, and they usually give it to two uh, people or places. And this year, Christopher Zagorski won for his work on his blog, Bolo Books. Bolo being Be on the Lookout, mm. shorthand cop talk. And so if you're looking for good mystery recommendations, he, like John Valerie, our buddy, our mystery man, review a ton of mystery books. And they have their fingers on the pulses of different threads of mystery uh, going on in the world. And then the Raven Bookstore in Lawrence, Kansas, also won a Raven Award. Hmm. Yeah. It seems appropriate. Totally. And there was another award that I don't see listed here. Oh, yeah, here it is. The Robert L. Fish Memorial. That is the title of that award category. And I don't know what that is about. I'll have to look into that. But that was another short story from New Haven Noir that won. It was Lisa D. Gray's story, The Queen of Secrets. 
hmm. which I did like. Okay. I mean, I liked all the stories in New mm-hmm. Haven Noir, but I have to say um, that the spring break, that like there was, there was just no emotional connection for mm-hmm. me. And I, yeah. that's one of the reasons I read is to, to learn and to, you know, and I like to learn about things I'm emotionally connected to somehow, sure. I guess, yeah. or be entertained that way. So. Yeah. Yeah. Which maybe is one reason why I don't read sci-fi a lot. You know, you and I have talked about that. That it's a category that doesn't seem to resonate with. Yeah. Yeah. Either of us. True. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, so I haven't <laughs> thought that deeply about it. I mean, I think it did more when I was a kid, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know what that means, but... Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, congratulations to all the yeah. winners and all the nominees and to... To everyone who writes, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amen, uh, sister. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so what are you currently reading? Well, I am currently reading, not well, the Chicago Poems of Carl Sandburg. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to finish that today, actually. Oh, exciting. Um, because I don't want to start another novel for reasons I'll talk about later. So I'll probably be finishing that. I am also reading The Library, A Catalog of Wonders by Stuart Kells, which I believe I mentioned on the last episode, and I really just started, like, I've read the intro and, like, the first essay. Mm. Um, so I look forward to, to reading yeah. more into that, because it's about libraries and books. Can't beat that. No, that's great. I'm reading Cecil Richards' Make Trouble. Oh, God, I just did it, too. I was going to say, I, I will talk more about going to an event with her. It's Cecile Cecile, okay. I keep <laughs> Cecil, I believe, is the male pronunciation of that name. Cecile Richards. I cannot get my Ohio hillbilly mind wrapped (laughs) around that. Um, But I I will talk more about this um, because I I did go to see her. But I just thought I'd read a quick passage to give you some idea of the type of writing it is. And this is a memoir that she wrote. These days, when someone asks me for career advice, some of the first words out of my mouth are the lessons I learned at Planned Parenthood. At every job, look for someone who can teach you something, stay close to the ground, and remember that you're never too big of a deal to knock on doors. Find something outside your job that brings you joy. Don't look up years later and realize you missed out on the things you love. Give your staff vacations, play sports, travel. Doing this will make you a better person and a better organizer. Know that there's no roadmap for social change, so keep making it up. Don't get stuck or tied down, and never turn down a new opportunity. And never, ever hold yourself back from accepting a big job or a big chance. You can and will figure it out. Take it from me. (laughs) Cecile Richards is the president of Planned Parenthood, I should have said. So I will talk more about that book. Okay, during that. Yeah. What did you just read? Well, I did. The last novel I finished was Dark Chapter uh, by Winnie M. Lee, which I talked about on the last episode it is a mystery thriller that deals with a rape. So oh, right. if you are sensitive to that subject matter, you may or may not want to read this book because it's in part, the, the kernel of the story is from Lee's own assault. And so it's about what happened with both the victim and the perpetrator, where they're coming from, what happened during, and then what happened after. Mm. It's a book that really details what a woman goes through after the assault, mm-hmm. from the police collection of evidence to then the medical examination to hopefully, you know, therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
if the woman has access to that. <laughs> um, and just the lack of resources, really, mm. you know, mm. like she's tr- in one scene, she's trying to get within 72 hours. There are pills you can take to help prevent STDs and also pregnancy. And the organization she's trying to get a hold of is not open. <laughs> And, you know, they finally call her back and they're like, well, we're all volunteers and we're not staffed. And, you know, you think about that and how little, how few resources there are out there when this is such a huge problem Mm -hmm. in the world. Because the rape takes place in Scotland. Oh, wow. Um, So it's not a, a, I mean, the, the character is an American living in London who, oh, not Scotland. I'm sorry, Ireland. Okay. Yeah. I don't know why I said Scotland. Oh, there yeah, might be a little uproar out there. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> anyway, sorry, everyone from Scotland or Ireland. <laughs> I'll just stop talking now. But anyway, I thought it was a really different book and a really, uh, you know, an important book and something that people who are really involved in the U2, Me Too movement. <laughs> oh, my God. I think maybe we should have had a little caffeine before we started this morning. We are recording for the first time ever, like early, early in the morning. morning. It's not going so well so far. Um, well, I mean, it's just interesting because it sounds very much memoir-esque, but in the novel form, you know, yeah. it's definitely mm-hmm. coming from a place of experience. So I, that sounds like it'd be a hard book to read. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't at the same time. Hmm. It, you yeah. know, I, I it was... Yeah. yeah. So that's what I just read. How about you? I just finished Standard Deviation by Catherine Heaney. This was a book that I think Anne Kingman was recommending last year. Um, you know, I have to admit that I have been now 20 years divorced, I think. So I shy away from books about marriage because, frankly, I just don't want to read about it. I loved being married, and it's um, in, in the realm of oversharing. You know, it's a sadness to me mm-hmm. that... I got divorced and I liked being married. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, why would I put myself into novels where people are married? You know, like everyone was talking about that book, Fates and Furies, for a while. That was, I think, told from two different perspectives, like the the husband's perspective and then the wife's perspective. Like the same story was told Mm -hmm. fully, but in these two different perspectives. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to do that. Yeah. But somehow I found myself reading Standard Deviation Um, It's about Graham and Audra, who are a married couple. This is Graham's second marriage. And his first wife, Elspeth, which I thought was the funniest name ever. I thought I was like on the set of Bewitched, (laughs) but um, is also a character in the book. And part of that is because Audra, his second wife, is one of those characters that like she was so annoying to me, but so familiar. Like people who (laughs) sorry, I just... Spit all over Chris. Oh, that's, I'm so that's one of the joys of sitting next to, to somebody or across from somebody talking about books. You sorry, can spit Chris. on sometimes. So sorry. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, oh, She's one of those characters. Now her phone's oh, no. ringing. Oh, boy. oh gosh, I thought I had it on silent. She's one of those characters that just. Like, she goes to the grocery store and starts talking to someone, and then it, within five minutes knows everything about them and just will not shut up, but just knows, seemingly knows everything about them, you know? And just as a very, because of that, people who are like that, I think, 
to me, they're kind of, like, so different from me, first of all, and so, comp- like, their lives are just kind of harried all the time because they're filling it with all this information that you don't really need, in my opinion. You can see where I come from on this. But because of that, you know, it's like, oh, the doorman's having a problem, so all of a sudden he's sleeping on the couch in their living room because she also cares. I mean, that's the truth behind that, right? Mm-hmm. She cares about people. So the story is told from Graham's perspective of kind of looking at that and somewhat being amazed by it and also annoyed by it, Mm -hmm. you know. But then they also have a son who has Asperger's and is very involved with origami, Mm. which is why the cover has these really beautiful origami, I think, swans or birds of some kind on it. So there's some really fun information about, like, complicated origami folds, you know, as well. But so there's a cast of characters always because Audra's always in everybody's business, including his ex-wife, and she wants to become friends with her. So that's how she comes back into her life, Mm -hmm. you know, into his life, I should say. So I enjoyed it. I mean, as I was reading it, there was a point where I was like, why are you reading this book? You don't want to read about marriage. And that's really what he's exploring is, you know, how different this marriage is and Audra is from his first wife, who was diametrically different Mm -hmm. from Audra on every level, you know? Mm -hmm. And I do think that part's fascinating in the sense that if you look at the loves you've had in your life, you know, they can be really different and they bring different things into your life. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, definitely. Excuse me. So I was glad I read it, but it is about marriage. So if you're not (laughs) interested in reading about marriage, you might skip it. But um, I enjoyed it. I laughed out loud several times. It's very funny. (laughs) It's great. That was Standard Deviation by Catherine Heaney. Did you read anything else? I didn't. I didn't. Oh, did I? You know what I did, actually? I'm sorry. I have the book right here. It's a kid's book. Oh, how fun. See Creatures from the Sky is the title. It's by Ricardo Cortez. And if that rings a bell, that name, he's the guy who wrote the book Go to Fuck to Sleep. Oh, yeah. Is that the title of that? Am I mean, Go to Fuck to Sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That was read by Morgan Freeman. The audible of that is Morgan Freeman. Okay. Yeah, so this is another book that he he wrote it and he illustrated it, and it's gorgeous. Oh, sea Creatures wow. from the Sky. On the, the cover, it's a beautiful blue and white, uh, different shades of... You're, you're looking up toward... You're underwater, and you're looking up, and you see the bottom of a boat, the outline of the sun, and then a bunch of sharks, like hammerhead sharks yeah. and... Maybe a, a great white, I'm not really sure. But the illustrations in here are just beautiful. So it is about a shark. Look at oh, those stingrays. It's beautiful. Yeah. Wow. We'll we'll post a picture on um of this or go check it out right away. But it is a really great story. It's about this shark who's swimming around and finds a fish to eat that has a hook in it. Oh. So he gets pulled up onto this boat it's really funny uh, this is kind of a spoiler alert everyone okay so on one page it says here i should warn you about the next page because if you look you might scream <laughs> and you turn the page and it's a picture of i saw the two scariest creatures i've ever seen and it's a picture of a man and a woman <laughs> the two scientists who take the little shark on board and measure him and, and then toss him back overboard. And they don't look scary at all. They've got, like, little red <laughs> knit hats on. Yes. And, yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, so then the little shark goes and tries to tell friends about 
what he saw, no one believes him. Mm. But he knows what he saw. So it's a really, it's a nice story about, you know, seeing or coming across different types of creatures and people for the first time and knowing what you saw and believing in yourself and having confidence, I think. And I would be a beautiful gift for somebody. Yes, yeah. Nice. Yeah, so um, I really enjoy it. So the last line, is it the last line? Well, the last line is not that, but um, towards the end it says, I know what I saw with my very own eye. (laughs) So I think it's a good message, and it's a beautiful book. So check it out. It is out now. It's from Akashic Books, and I should note that this was a review copy. I love everything from, you know, I love books about the ocean in general and and water life and everything. So this is out. It came out in April, April 3rd, actually. Yeah, it cracks me up that you said this is a spoiler because when you read kids books, you read them about 500 times to your kids. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) But the first time. That's true. You know, come on. It's the first time. So again, that's Sea Creatures from the Sky by Ricardo Cortez. Wonderful. Just read. Good book. Probably what I would consider one of my worst mother moments was when I was tired at night. I read a lot to my kids. But sometimes when you were tired at night, you're just like, I cannot read this book one more time because you've read them 500 times, but your kids have their favorites. And I'd be known to skip pages, you know, but mom, Rachel in particular, (laughs) never could I get away with that. Mm -hmm. So, and now I'm thinking, what, you know, why could you were trying to skip pages in your kid's nighttime book, but that's exhaustion for you right there. Adventures. We yeah, have we've been lot. on a couple. Yeah. yeah. So I think the first one was when we went to see Angie Thomas. <laughs> at where? Where did we see her? We saw her at the Savoy. Bookshop Savoy because it was the Rhode Island Read. <laughs> yes, Rhode Island Read. So we're laughing at this because for those of you who may have seen the video we posted on our YouTube channel, when we were at the Mystic Library recording the last episode, we were like, we're here, Mystic. We're going to Bank Mystic Square Connecticut. Books. Connecticut. Mystic, Connecticut. <laughs> we're going to Bank Square Books to see Angie Thomas tonight. We're so excited. And we were seeing her for like one book, one Rhode Island, basically, right? <laughs> and so uh, we record our episode. We went and we had pizza at Mystic Pizza, because one in Mystic. It was delicious. My first time there. Yeah. And if you're a youngin and you don't know the big deal about Mystic Pizza, one of Julia Roberts' first movies was called Mystic Pizza, which takes place in Mystic at Mystic Pizza. So anyway, so we're eating pizza, and I'm, I'm launching in. We, did, we finished. We paid. I start launching into another long story, and Emily's like, you know, I really want to hear about that, but let's start walking over to the bookstore, because I want to browse a little bit before the event. It was like 6.10. The event yeah. starts at 6.30. Yeah. So we walk over there to Bank Square Books, and the door is locked. And, I, and it's like, oh, must maybe go through the other entrance, because they have two entryways <laughs> locked. And we're like, what the? So I pull out our tickets, which I had looked at earlier in the day to check the time, that it, the time was 6.30. And I look, and I was like, oh, it's at the Savoy in Westerly, Rhode Island. And we both look at each other. We're like, yeah, because it's like one book, one Rhode Island, right? Or, oh, my God. That was, was so, so funny. funny. So it was we, hilarious. <laughs> we ran over to the car, jumped in the car, and flew there. Yeah. 
Chris is, did a mighty fine job driving. <laughs> so we got there with minutes to spare. Yeah. I mean, we stood in the back. It was packed. Yeah. And we stood in the back, which was great because I like to stand. I've Me been too. sitting so much lately. Yeah. And um, Alyssa, who's the event manager for both the Savoy and Bank Square Books, we told her what had happened and she laughed. She's like, oh my gosh, it happens regularly. Like authors show up at the wrong store yeah. because it's owned by the same person and they have uh, like a split website. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's hilarious though because we had talked about this event before and said we'd be at Bank Square Books. Yes. So I don't know what happened. And in that video too, I also said how excited I was to finally go to an event at Bank Square Books. Yeah. I still haven't been to an event <laughs> at Bank Square Books. But oh, it was funny. But the event was packed. Yeah, she is a delight. Angie Thomas. Yeah. Oh my gosh, she She wrote the book "The Hate You Give," Mm -hmm. her first novel. It's just flying off the shelves. Yeah, it's being made into a movie as we speak. I mean, I think it's coming out in the fall. I I thought. Yeah, I thought she was hoping it would come out by the end of the year. Yeah. Yeah, is what she said. And then um, in her second book is probably coming out in February, I think, is what she said. And she said it's going to be a little bit almost like an anti the hate you give. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'll leave it at that. But I, I in her talk, um, I was looking at some of the notes I took, and she had never left Mississippi before her book coming out. And now mm-hmm. she's been all over the world. Like, mm-hmm. just before she was in Rhode Island, she was in Germany. I you know so that's pretty amazing yeah. and and so she started talking by clarifying some things she's like so Mississippi she's African American she's like I just want to clear some things up about Mississippi she's like you know I I never saw a KKK person dressed in a sheets I've never been called the N word and, and at that some some older, older woman. white woman said something like oh thank God you know something like that <laughs> and like. And it was such a spontaneous, like, you know, shout out of relief that right. this beautiful young woman had never been called that heinous word in anger that everyone just kind of paused for a moment. And then Angie Thomas burst out laughing. And then so everybody started laughing, too. It was and, hilarious. And she, was I mean, like, she couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> she couldn't. That she really said, tickled the, her funny bone. of course bone. she's given this talks a few times yeah. by now you know and she said i have never gotten that reaction that <laughs> yeah. is i think she even said that's so precious or something yeah you know? yeah so, exactly yeah. but it was really uh, obviously a heartfelt response yeah and uh so then angie talked about how you know those things didn't you know the, the kkk and violence like that that was part of what she grew up hearing about but what resonated with her as a young african-american woman was rap music and she talked about it because she was a rapper. Right. Right. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. So she talked about that and, and how police violence and brutality is what was her experience and what she saw going on around her. Right. Right. And I mean, she grew up with the stories like Medgar Evers and yes. things like that. But that was not her life experience. Right. Yeah. She yeah. she grew up in the same town mm-hmm. where he was murdered mm-hmm. and her mom and her grand mother told told her stories mm-hmm. about that night about right. how everyone they had heard that there was going to be violence so everyone stayed home and shut their lights off and crouched down mm-hmm. and then it was so quiet that they actually heard the gunshots right when he was murdered right so yeah from blocks away 
Right. So that history definitely influenced who she is and, you know, her life experience. But but it's different than her actual lived life yes. experience, yeah. which is more these, you know, gang violence and young black men being shot and killed by police officers mm-hmm. in particular, which is what the crux of The Hate You Give is about. Yeah. Yeah. And so she talked about how uh, that story started as a short story. In a writing class she took, and her professor was like, you know, I really like the story, but it's not a short story. Like, you have 30 people right, <laughs> in this right. short story. Yeah. It needs to be a novel. So yeah. she let it percolate for a while and then eventually expanded it into the novel that it is. Yeah. So. Yeah. I haven't read it yet. I mm-hmm. We did get uh, autographed copies. Mm-hmm. We got to go up and meet her. Yeah, and like Emily said, it was packed. Yeah. It was really packed. There were a lot of educators in the audience, which I think is interesting, but it also mm-hmm. kind of makes sense because part of the one read, I think, comes with, you know, that it's read in the schools and things like that. So, yeah. um, you know, and one of the educators during the Q&A said how thankful she was to have a book like this to start, to be able to start conversations with kids. Right. You know, after reading something with this subject matter. Yeah. Talking about, like, what can we do? And and she said, you know, the thing about your privilege is that, you know, you need to use your privilege to change the system. Mm-hmm. And, and to remember that it's a marathon, not a sprint, mm-hmm. for one, because I think people want change instantly. Mm-hmm. And then one thing about reading that I really loved is that she talked about how we need to encourage kids to see books as windows and sliding glass doors rather than mirrors. Mm-hmm. So if kids are always just looking for books that reflect their life, which is an important part of reading mm-hmm. and development, you need that. You need to have people witness you, even if it's through a book. But, you know, books are so much more than that. You know, mm-hmm. they take you out of your experience and they teach you new experiences and introduce you to new people and different sorts of lives and everything. So mm-hmm. I think we need everything. And again, now gets to the point of what's going on in the public publishing industry of trying to have more diversity right. in books. Yeah. I, I thought she was so incredibly well-spoken and we were trying to figure out how old she is. I mm-hmm. suppose we could have Wikipedia edited it, but we didn't, but I would say she's in her late twenties, mm-hmm. maybe early thirties. And, um, you know, some people were asking her some questions that I kind of wanted to say, ooh, she's just an author. Like, she doesn't have the answers for everything in the world. But she really answered every question thoughtfully. Mm-hmm. And she's very smart, you know, yeah. and has a lot of important things to say. So that's what you were just talking about, about sliding doors instead of mirrors, was a response to a librarian, a white librarian who works in it. She said a very privileged you know, mostly white demographic school and said, you know, is there anything we can do about the cover, basically, because it's hard to get a white kid to pick up a cover with that has what looks like a a black child on it. Mm -hmm. And that was her response was, you know, no, it shouldn't have a different cover. It's that, you know, to encourage your kids to read outside of their comfort zone, and they'll learn things. And, you know, so I thought that was a really well thought out and well-spoken response. Absolutely. Yeah, because somebody else said that, I guess some library libraries have started putting brown plain wrappers mm-hmm. on books and mm-hmm. things like that. And I don't know if that's the answer either, you know, because I just think about my own experience as a younger person really seeking out books with lesbians in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so there are a lot of code 
codes for figuring out what the book is about mm-hmm. in that, even if it's not blatantly stated. So I think, I don't know what the answer is, but yeah. I, I think it is about opening opening windows and doors yeah. and, and looking into the big world and what's out there. And really, I sometimes wonder, too, like, our generation sees things so differently. Mm-hmm. You know, this younger generation, they grew up with the Internet. Right. They've seen diversity, yes. theoretically, anyway, yes. at a much younger age than many of us who grew up in neighborhoods surrounded by similar people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. And even if they're not racially similar, they're usually socioeconomically similar yeah. In your neighborhood. So. Yeah. Yeah. The world is smaller to them in a certain way mm-hmm. because it seems like they can get anywhere and see anything they want. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. I and see they can certainly mobilize a lot faster. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Which is exciting. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, I watched um, <clears throat> David Letterman's interview with Barack Obama mm-hmm. uh, just, just the other night. And um, one of the things Letterman talks about at the end is, uh, you know, the march on, in Selma. Mm-hmm. he's like what was i doing i didn't know about this mm-hmm. like he talks about how he was going off on spring break with friends to some island in the tropics for a week of partying mm-hmm. when that was going on and just and, and you think i it made me think about angie thomas and the internet and how different access to information is these days yes it's very quickly dispersed yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah and we all carry little computers in our pockets yep. yeah yeah and for people who don't know, David Letterman, on if, if you can stream Netflix, has a series now. I think he's up to four interviews. He interviewed um, Barack Obama, George Clooney, Malala, and Jay-Z. And they're about one-hour interviews. He's sitting on a stage with them. And then he also has done some sideline, you know, interviewing of, you know people around this person or goes back to their home or in that case, you know, walked over the bridge in Selma, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, they're very well done interviews. I've enjoyed, yeah. I've watched all four and I've really enjoyed them. So I highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's still funny, but funny in a different way, yeah. you know? So yeah. 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 Sending out messages that a lot of us want to hear and need yeah. to hear. And yeah. 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 Which is an excellent segue into the next person that I saw. Are you, did you have anything else you wanted to say about Angie Thomas? Uh, no, just that I look forward to, to reading her book. Yeah. For sure, I'm definitely going to read that. I highly recommend it. It's a great book. And someone mentioned um, the audio and asked her mm-hmm. a question about the person who narrates it and implied that it was very well done. Mm-hmm. So if you don't get a chance to read it but want to listen to it, okay. you know that might be an option. I went to see Cecile Richards, who is the president of Planned Parenthood. Um, she was at a venue in downtown New Haven, but it was sponsored by the Wesleyan R.J. Julia. Unfortunately, the crowd was very small, which I was sad to see, but it was a beautiful Sunday at 2 o'clock in yeah. the afternoon. It was a hard sell. It I was mean, one of the first really nice yeah. weekend days that we yeah. had. Really, probably Warm. the only first nice one we yeah. had. And so I felt terrible for that. I mean, even when Roxanne Cody came out to introduce, she said, you know, we're missing a lot of people, yeah. and I'm sure it's because of the day. I mean, And it was also Earth Day, too. Oh, I thought so, Earth Day was Saturday. Oh, was it? I don't know. Maybe it was Earth Day. Okay. Well, never mind. No, it might have been. I don't know. But, I mean, it was, like, even if it had been at 4, yeah. 2 o'clock's a tough sell, you yeah. know. But I was very glad I went. She's incredibly inspiring. And she was being interviewed. Oh, I didn't write down the woman's name. A woman who is 
the head of the Ms. Foundation, the executive director of the Ms. Foundation, who lives in Connecticut. And um, so it was very, she did a really good job of interviewing her. And Cecile has, she's currently the president of Planned Parenthood, has been for 12 years. And unbeknownst to me, this must have been a national announcement, but I missed it. She is stepping down in June. Oh, okay. Um, and, but the book is um, probably about three quarters of the way through, and it really talks about her background as an organizer. That's really where she got her start, just like Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. And she is also the daughter of Ann Richards, who was the governor of Texas. A lot of people probably recognize her name. And yeah. she unfortunately has passed away. But um, boy, she was a live wire. Yeah, she has a pistol, yeah. as they say. <laughs> yeah, so imagine, just close your eyes for a minute, imagine her being your mother, you know. So she weaves a lot of really interesting tales in here just about, you know, um, being a mother and being a young organizer and meeting her husband, Kirk, who she's still in a marriage with, and how she came to be the president of Planned Parenthood. and But really, what she talked about was the reason that she wrote the book, because I hypothesized, I think, in the last episode that maybe she was planning to run for office. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, she said why she wrote it. She lives in New York City, and after the election, the last election, people kept coming up to her and saying, what do we do? Yeah. What do we do? What do we do? I can't get out of bed. you know. Yeah. And so she decided to write a book to kind of answer that question. Mm-hmm. So she talks, she's already talked about how to start a nonprofit organization, which she has done twice. Um, of different organizing to, like, get out the vote and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then she also has, is just talking about kind of being a young woman in the world and how to face, like, that passage I read at the beginning, you know. She has plenty of her own self-doubts. And when she got the phone call to come and apply for the job at Planned Parenthood, you know, she literally stopped on the way to the interview and called her mom, Anne, who was still alive at the time, and said, you know, I can't do this. Why would they possibly be asking me to do this? And, you know, her mom was like, hang up the phone and go do that interview, you know. <laughs> and nobody ever feels like they know what they're doing, you know. And um, But the other thing that she talked about that I think is really important, I am a huge supporter of Planned Parenthood. And she's talked about the battles that Planned Parenthood has had over her tenure And I think one of the most important messages that I would like to get out to people is, you know, Planned Parenthood provides health care services to a lot of people, male and female. Mm -hmm. They're not all reproductive services. I mean, breast exams, all sorts of things like that. It's a very important organization. And one of the things that they've really done now is they have online resources that millions of people look at, Mm -hmm. millions and millions. So. Very important organization. And she said that um, as an organizer and with Barack Obama being an organizer, one of the first meetings she was in with him, he and it was her and a bunch of other people who ran important organizations. He said, your job is to make me do the right thing. And I thought, what a wonderful thing for a president to say. Yeah. And she said, you know, it's really due to the fact of his background in organizing and understanding that, you know, the, re- the the point of organizers is to kind of keep politics in its place, yeah. you know? So it's a fantastic book. I'm loving it. If I could just sit in bed and read today <laughs> I, on a rainy day, I would finish it. Um, she also was Nancy Pelo- worked for Nancy Pelosi, oh, and wow. she talks a lot about her. And mm-hmm. So she's an interesting woman. I mean, I didn't really know much about her. I've only really known her as the president of Planned Parenthood. Yeah, so. interesting. Very cool. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's a great organization. They do so much. Mm-hmm. 
They really do. And it's just such a shame that there's been this attack mm-hmm. yeah. on it because it's harming a lot of people yeah. who really need those resources. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So Cecile Richards, not Cecil. <laughs> uh, the book is Make Trouble, and I highly recommend it. Very cool. Excellent. Well, I had another Willa Cather experience. Yes. The second meeting of the Willa Cather Book Club at the Book Club Bookstore and More up in South Windsor, Connecticut on the 19th. And we discussed The Song of the Lark. And it was really great. There were 12 of us. So two more people, I think, came this time. And really good conversation. You know, there's just, it's really great that there's so much local interest Mm -hmm. in Willa Cather. Because, you know, it's, she's one of those writers who... A lot of people have been hearing more about, but maybe haven't read or haven't read in years. Maybe they read like Oh Pioneers in school <laughs> decades right. ago or something right. like that. So, so it was a lot of fun. Good. Yeah. So the that's next, a great turnout. It really, yeah, it was a great turnout, and people baked and brought goodies. Oh, and Cindy, nice. uh, the owner, always has a nice spread and tea and everything. So I lovely sustained in that way as well. <laughs> um, but it was great, a lot of fun, and our next book will be one of ours, which uh, Cather won the Pulitzer for. Oh, great. It's her novel that was inspired by her cousin's death in uh, World War I. Oh, wow. So it's about a young man in Nebraska growing up, uh, pre-World War I, he's growing up, and he doesn't really fit in with his family or with the culture. And, and I think Cather does such a great job of capturing what that feels like. I've really connected with that part. Yeah. And then uh, World War I breaks out mm. and what happens after that. And she won the Pulitzer, like I mentioned, and critics kind of pan the book. Hmm. But soldiers love the book. Oh, she had so many letters from soldiers who would say, you know, you captured my experience you captured what it was like and and, and other family members too uh or just regular readers writing into her about that because there's a really cool a uh, section in the book where she talks a uh, that's set on a transport ship a troop mm. transport ship going to europe mm. and uh, influenza breaks out <gasps> and when she was up in jaffrey new hampshire which is where she did a lot of her writing somebody she was sick i think is what happened and the doctor who came to take care of her or a friend told her that the local doctor had served aboard a ship during world war one and so he eventually agreed to let her read his journals from oh, wow. from that so a lot of that portion of the book is really based on that guy's experience so which is why it rings so true yeah that's really cool. yeah i mean she talked with a lot of soldiers while she was writing the book mm. and and so mm. i think it's a really fantastic novel and, and one that i think is coming back into its own a little bit more because you know so much of literary reputations are formed by people who have agendas Mm. they might be quote innocent agendas i say with air quotes Mm -hmm. because i don't you know but everybody has an agenda and what they're looking at and what they like and why they like it and i think you know world war ii and its aftermath was i think a huge crisis in masculinity so i think writers like cather were downplayed Mm. and writers like hemingway and steinbeck were glorified Mm. And I think Hemingway's masculinity was just, you know, kind of cheap masculinity. It was all play masculinity. Hmm. And I think he bought his own stories of his masculinity. (laughs) 
You hear, heard it here first, people. The book well, I, I'm sure I'm not the first <laughs> to say that, but, you know, I think that's why, I mean, he was, he had so many problems and hmm. killed himself. Right. And I think, he, not that I'm correlating the two exactly, but I think you live a rough life like he did. Yeah. And you have such a persona that you've created and that you want to maintain, and you've backstabbed so many people through your rise I think it takes a toll, mm. and karma's a bitch. Karma is a bitch. So. That's a good way to end that one. Yeah, so we're looking at there. Woohoo! If you're interested in joining us, we'll be meeting, I think it's in July. Okay. Yeah, so we'll we, we meet once a notes. quarter. Yeah. yeah, which is such a good way to do it. I'm in yeah. only one book club right now, and it's a quarterly, and mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. It's much less pressure. Exactly, you know? yeah. yeah. Monthly can get a little rough sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and not so much. I mean, I love the idea of meeting with people once a month to talk about books. Mm-hmm. Or, in my wonderful life now, I get to meet with you every other week you know at what? least it's and nice. do it. Yeah. But I think what became hard for me in being in a monthly book club was just it was guiding my reading choice too yeah. much. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's one book of of your monthly read is dedicated to that. Absolutely. You know? yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So then we also went together. To go to the Wesleyan RJs up in Middletown to see Jumpo Lahiri and Domenico Starnon yes. talk about the book Trick. And I just want to do a shout out to Europa, who sent us both a copy of the book. It's a beautiful cover. Europa's, if you haven't seen their books, they're just beautiful. They are, yeah. Um, and it's just a really cool cover. And this was a really different event. We were joined by our friend Kate. Yes, she came up from the Bronx. Yes. Um, Drove up to see us. Yeah. Got to have dinner with her and hang out a bit. And she's one of our financial backers. Yes. Thank Thank you, you, Kate. Kate. We appreciate you very much. Um, And and also at the event, I should say, Michael Reynolds was there. He's the editor-in-chief of Europa. Right. And just to backtrack a tad, like Europa books are so beautiful and I know the Unabridged Bookstore in Chicago used to have a Europa section, mm. which is the only bookstore I've ever seen that just had Europa all together, which mm. is really awesome. Yeah. Unabridged is one of my favorite Chicago bookstores. That would be a beautiful shelf. I'd love to see yeah. that. It's, yeah, it's a nice, it's a whole bay. Big. Anyway, mm-hmm. okay. So Jumpa Lahiri speaks Italian and translates books now. And so Domenico Starnon speaks only Italian. So it was a very interesting event because he did a reading of the book in Italian and then she did the same portion mm-hmm. in English. Yes. And then he when he would be asked questions by Michael, who does speak Italian, but he was speaking in English. He, yeah. Then there was a woman there, a professor whose name... Yeah. Uh, Ellen Nuremberg is her name. She's the dean and professor at Wesleyan. She did the translation right for Domenico whispering right you know it was so amazing. yeah it was really great yeah yeah it was the first bilingual event I think I've ever attended yeah and Emily and I had been talking a lot about wanting to read more books in translation so yeah. like what what a great way to have an event um, with with writers in that way and so they talked a lot about translation and what it means to translate. Because like uh, Jumpa said, it's like you're recreating a piece of art. Right. And, you know, translation is not an exact science because translating word for word doesn't really make sense. It's That would make things really kind of just jumbled, really. Mm-hmm. And then to capture the feeling of 
of a piece of literature is what a good translator is trying to do. So you're trying to replicate it exactly, but you're also creating a little bit of a new thing. Right. You know? And just practically, sometimes there aren't words in the English language for terms he was using in the Mm -hmm. Italian. Yeah. So it just makes it more complicated. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So they talked about that. And just how exciting, Michael, the editor, was really excited to have a, a writer of her level and ability translating. Right. Because not all translators are writers inherently in themselves. Right. They may have at first fallen in love with the language and then got involved in translating, which is what Jumpa talked about was that she reached a certain level of proficiency in Italian and she felt like she needed to give back to the language. And right. that's why she started translating, which I thought was a beautiful way of putting that. Yeah. And then Domenico was so excited to have a writer of her caliber, you know, to, for his book to be in her hands. Yeah. So it was a little bit of a love fest in that Absolutely. way, which was fun. Yeah, it yeah. was really great. And yeah. and they talked a lot, too. Um, uh, Domenico talked about dialect because mm-hmm. um, he grew up speaking a dialect, and, and which was more common in Italy back then uh, when he was growing up anyway. And now there's this kind of a standard Italian that more people speak and certainly that younger people are growing up with now watching TV and being on the Internet and and whatnot. And it made me think a lot about Germany, too, because the first time I went to the former East Zone and met my relatives there, I didn't understand what they were saying, oh, like, because they're they're in Dresden, mm-hmm. and there is a dialect there, and they were behind the Iron Curtain for forty years, and and so I remember visiting for the first time and turning to my aunt who was from the West and saying to her like I don't understand, you know, like <laughs> the, are they speaking German like because right. uh, but and then I got the hang of it, and and my cousin also taught me some some of the dialect, so it was kind of fun because my mom wasn't with me on that trip, and I mm-hmm. called her and. and gave her some good old Dresden dialect, which <laughs> made her great. laugh. That's um, great. So that dialect thing, I think, like, we have accents in America. I don't think we ever, we really have a dialect in that way, yeah. where the words actually change. I think our pronunciations just change. So the thing with the book um, that Domenico was talking about was that it's about a grandfather and his four-year-old grandson. And the grandfather grew up speaking a dialect, like Domenico did in his real life, and the the little grandson is speaking that uh, common Italian, and just the the you know the problems they have communicating, and then right. the, the grandfather gets angry and stuff. He zips back into his right. dialect, which right. I thought was interesting. Yeah. yeah, and Domenico joked, "If you make me angry, you might hear a little dialect <laughs> yes. <here> tonight." Yeah, <laughs> so I just really enjoyed that. Yeah. I enjoyed the discussion. I was I've been thinking about it ever since, just about language. Because for me, I read for the story mainly. Mm-hmm. I am not one who's reading for the love of a language. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and Jumpa talks about the word and how important yeah. the word is, which is a writer makes yeah. sense, right? Yeah. Well, and especially somebody who's a student of of another language, right? Because she grew up speaking uh, uh, Bengalese, I think, mm-hmm. in the home, and then English was what she learned in school and right. that was the language of her education as she said and and now learning a language like Italian so deeply like you really are about those words yeah. and that word level yeah which is fascinating because yeah. I've never been I'm kind of a ham-fisted linguist <laughs> 
I talk like I know how hillbilly half the time, so I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, I, I really enjoyed the conversation. It was awesome yeah. to see her because yeah. she's been, I remember when like her first book came out and she won the Pulitzer and it was just yeah. like, wow, what is going on? And that's and the namesake. If you haven't read it, it's a fantastic yeah. book and a well, fantastic movie. it was movie. The Interpreter of Maladies, actually. Oh, that's what yeah. she won the Pulitzer for. Yeah. That's right. That's a book of short stories, yeah. right? Yeah. And the namesake was her first novel. Novel, right. Yeah. yeah. And then movie yeah. is awesome. Yeah. 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 I've been recommending it again all over I know. the place. I know. It makes yeah. me want to read it again. Which I won't, but, <sighs> you know, I like the idea of it. I do, too. Yeah. yeah. I like the idea yeah. of it a lot. It was a nice evening. We had a really good time. Yeah. I was glad we went. I am too. Yeah. It was interesting. Yeah. And afterwards, we did get our book signed by Domenico and uh, Jumpa. And, and it was weird because I was talking with a friend from France about, we were talking a lot about acculturation, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and just different ways people who move to a new culture adapt and don't and whatnot. And so meeting Domenico and Jumpa at the table Neither one of them was very warm and fuzzy. No. You know, I'm so used to authors who are there to pitch their wares yeah. and engage with the audience and meet people afterwards and take photos. Like, taking a photo with them never crossed anybody's mind no. because Mm-mm. it just wasn't like that. Mm-mm. And uh, my friend Celine said, she's like, oh, yeah. She's like, they probably didn't even want to be there. Yeah. Because yeah. that's just not, you know, you don't self-reveal. Like, it's not a thing that most Europeans are into. Mm, um, yeah. So I thought, that's so fascinating. Yeah. yeah. I did ask, I have the nerve to ask Jumpo a question, though. Yeah. I asked her how long it took her to do the translation, and she said a year. Yeah. Which surprised me. Mm-hmm. That's a long time. I mean, it's not, what is it, like a, a two, it's not even a 200-page book. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, when she's calling him to say, hey... This word, this word here, can I use this word for that? Right. And he would say, no, not really, because, right. you know, yeah. so yeah. when it you're was, looking at it at yeah. that level. No, word for word. It's true. Yeah. yeah. But I'm really glad we went. I am, it too. Yeah. It was a really a fun event. Yeah. And really thanks again, Kate, for making the effort to drive four hours round trip to see <laughs> yeah. us. It's great to see you. Have some ketchup time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I had a little, this week, just a, a little adventure to a new library I think I've talked about how I have a, I've now got my, my Guilford library card so I can use it in the West Hartford library system because that's where my gentleman caller lives. <laughs> and I reserved a book, um, but it was at a different library than I'd ever been to. It was the Lucy Robbins Wells Library in oh. Newington. Yeah. And it was a couple of days ago, it was a deluge of rain. I had yeah. a lot of work to do, so I thought, I'll just go pick up that book and then work there. Mm-hmm. And it was a really nice library. They have three great study rooms, so if we ever want to do a library day, it'd be a good place to go. Cool. But they have a system where you have to give them your driver's license to reserve the room. Like, And I said, to, I handed them my driver's license and said, I'm going to forget my driver's license. Yeah. And she said, oh, there's a big sign on the back of the door when you're leaving. Yeah, I got home and I'd forgotten my driver's <laughs> license. So I had two visits to the Lucy Robbins Wells Library in Newington this week. But um, but a really nice, beautiful place. And they have a really good selection of new, newly released books. So um, it'd be fun for us to do a little road trip there sometime. Excellent. Good. Yeah. I want to get back into having a daily or a weekly library yeah. work time. It, I got so a lot important. done that day. Yeah. any upcoming adventures my dear upcoming well tomorrow and this will be passed already by the time this airs but um tomorrow's independent bookstore day 
And um, Cindy at the book club bookstore invited Laura up to, to be there for her day of celebrating. She has a bunch of local authors coming That's in. Um, so Laura is going to be part of that. So I'm going to drive her up there and drop her off. I'll probably hang out a little bit. Um, and then I'm going to go off and read because it's also readathon. Dewey's 24-hour readathon is tomorrow. So that is uh, my first jaunt. Excellent. What about you? I am going on May 1st, which is next week. I cannot believe it's May next week. To RJ's in Madison to see Meg Wolitzer. Oh, cool. She has the her new book out, The Female Persuasion. Mm-hmm. And I guess um, I was taking a walk with a friend the other day, and she said her backlist is really good. And the only book I've read of hers is The Interestings, which I think might have been the book before this one, mm-hmm. which I liked. Yeah. But so I want to also check out. I haven't read The Female Persuasion yet, and I want to check out some of her backlist. So, yeah, I don't think I've read anything by her, but I've heard good things about her. Yeah. She's very popular, yeah. Yeah, and she's just going to be in the store, so I can't wait to see her. Nice. Cool. And then... Um, then Booktopia, Booktopia. is next yeah. weekend. It's May 4th and 5th, right. and so I'm thinking I'm going to drive up just on Saturday and attend the, the Saturday night grand finale where they have each of the writers talk for, like, what, 10 or 15 minutes about their book or whatever they want to talk about. And that's at Northshire Bookstore in Manchester, Vermont. Yeah. It's a fantastic bookstore. I mean, you could spend a weekend there without any events. Absolutely, yes. (laughs) I mean, it's very vast. They have a cool used section. They have incredible sidelines. And it's a beautiful town to walk around in and lots of other shopping. Yeah, Yeah, and I'm hoping on the way up, um, to stop at Williams College and see mm. their new bookstore. Mm. One of our nieces graduated uh, from Williams just a few couple years ago, and they were building the bookstore oh, the last time okay. I was there. So it's open now. So I thought I'd stop in on the way yeah. up. Cool. If it's open, yeah. scope it out a little bit. Great. That sounds like a great day. And then also on May 10th, you had bought me brought me this card a while back about the Guilford Poets Guild. Mm-hmm. And I just have not been able to get to any of the events. But on May 10th, at the Guilford Library, they have the Guilford High School Poetry Contest winners. Oh, very cool. And I thought that could be really fun. So I'm going to try to um, hit that on May 10th at the library. That's great. Maybe I'll try and join you for that. Yeah, I would love that. Yeah, yeah easy to get to. Well, that's a good segue into upcoming reads because I am reading about Fitz Green Halleck, who was a Guilford poet. He was born in 1790 here in Guilford, and he died in 1867 here in Guilford. But in between, he lived a big chunk of his life in New York City. He was a, a poet and essayist, and he's considered in his day, they called him the American Byron. Hmm. which is really heavy yeah. and you think who the hell is this guy like I, you would think english majors would know about him right never heard of him until i moved to guilford and started digging around looking at literary history and he was part of um what was known as the knickerbocker group of writers in new york city and that included washington irving james fenimore cooper and william cullen bryant so mm. a bunch of heavy hitters mm-hmm. and Fitzgreen halleck has been lost to history, hmm. in part, I think, because of homophobia. Oh. Um, I was. Uh, this is from the Poetry Foundation, which is a great resource, too. Um, and they have a nice bio on uh, poets. And from here, they, they have a couple of critical studies listed 
of his on him, I should say. And the most recent one that they have listed was from 2000 by James Grant Wilson. And the title is The American Byron, Homosexuality and the Fall of Fitzgreen Halleck. Hmm. Now, if you don't think this guy was a big deal because of you know, who he associated with, they also note in this biography, is it in this one? Maybe it's not in this one. Um, but he is also the only writer to have a statue in the literary walk in Central Park. Hmm. The only American writer. Wow. That is a big fucking deal. Yeah. You know? So this guy was huge hmm. in his day. And so obviously something happened with homosexuality to kind of sweep him under the rug, hmm. which takes me back to the whole earlier point about literary reputations and how they rise and they fall. Yeah. So, you know... Yeah. Bring in the H word, mm. and some people used to run right like nobody's business. So, um, are you reading a book? Are you reading the biography about? I ordered it. Okay, I found gotcha. a used copy online. And what's the name of it again? It is the American Byron. Byron, <laughs> the American. Oh my God, Byron, the American Byron: Homosexuality and the Fall of Fitzgreen Halleck. And who's it by? It is by James Grant Wilson. No, I back up. Wow, I need to back up everything. It is by John Halleck, who is a oh. distant relative of his. Oh. So I'm sorry. The James uh, Grant Wilson was to a prior biography called The Life and Letters of Fitzgreen Halleck, and that came out in 1869. Hmm. There was also a biography or a critical study uh, by Nelson Frederick Adkins, called Fitzgreen Halleck, an early Knickerbocker wit and poet, 1930. Yeah, oh, here it is. Here's the bit about, um, yeah, he is the only American writer honored in Central Park's literary walk. President Rutherford B. Hayes dedicated his statue in 1877 before an estimated crowd of 10,000 people. Wow. Yep. Huh. He returned. Halleck returned to Guilford in 1849 and lived with his sister until his death in 1867. Hmm. So there was a scandal of some kind, and he hmm. left New York. And right. At least that's my understanding of hmm. Wikipedia. Well, you'll be able to tell so, us once you read the yeah. biography. Now, I did check out a copy of his works, the poetical writings of Halleck, from our local library. Mm -hmm. And there's a, a lot of foxing going on here. Mm. This was uh, the poetical writings of Fitzgreen Halleck from 1885. This book is, uh, oh, James Grant Wilson edited it. Oh. He's one of the biographers. So I've read some of the poems. They are very not um, what most contemporary readers would enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of a backwards way of saying they're not accessible. Yeah, they're just, you know, they're, they're the kind of things you would imagine reading in, in, in school, really. Mm-hmm. So let me, I could just read you the stanza from Marco Bozeris is the title of the poem. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but it's one of his more well-known poems. At midnight in his guarded tent, the Turk was dreaming of the hour when Greece, her knee in suppliance bent, should tremble at his power. In dreams, through camp and court, he bore the trophies of a conqueror. In dreams, his song of triumph heard, then wore his monarch's signet ring, then pressed that monarch's throne a king, as wild his thoughts and gay of wing as Eden's garden bird. 
Holy smokes. Yeah, right? Like that. (laughs) And these are like, you know, school children learned these and recited them by heart. So, anyway. Mm. I don't think it's his poetry that's going to bring back his reputation. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I know he's buried around here. His ghost might come back and visit me and clarify something. I don't know what's going on with your karma now, but I'm going to take a little step back. Well, I have two books on my upcoming reads. I have The Overstory by Richard Powers. Um, he wrote a book called The Echo Maker that I oh, loved. Yeah. So um, this book got a very rave review from Barbara Kingsolver on the front of the New York Times book review. Hmm. Um, I have it sitting on right. my coffee table. Yes. I'm dying to start it. But it doesn't look... His okay. writing takes some effort. You know, it's... It's not a light read, so um, it has a really cool cover that I believe is supposed to represent like the rings of a, of trees because okay. it is about trees. Thus, the term the overstory, which is you know the top part of the tree line, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, overstory by Richard Powers, and then I also have another nonfiction after I finish Cecile's book called "This Messy Magnificent Life: A Field Guide" by Janine Roth. She's a writer I really admire. She's written a lot of books oh, about yeah. food right, okay. and, um, you know, emotional eating. Mm-hmm. My personal favorite that I read is called When You Eat at the Refrigerator, Pull Up a Chair. <laughs> it's a great book. Um, she also has a book called When Food is Love, which is another book I've read. She's kind of, her writing career, I feel like, has, this is kind of a goofy thing to say, but follows her life experience you Mm -hmm. know so obviously she's written a lot about food and emotional eating and things like that she also um wrote a book which i don't think is in here on this list which is funny but um about losing all of her money she and her husband lost all of their money i I don't know if it was in the madoff scandal it was something like that they lost it not as young people Mm -hmm. you know um and then this book i think is just kind of about you know life is complicated and messy and so I'm really looking forward to it because I think she is an accessible writer and she usually speaks to me somehow and I've mentioned several times I've been looking for for the nonfiction book that's going to be the shot in the arm this year and I haven't quite found it although Cecil Richards might be but Mm -hmm. so again that was called This Messy Magnificent Life A Field Guide by Janine Roth cool excellent I know Laura's enjoyed her books yeah did you say Cecil again did I just say that? Cecile. Cecile. Oh, my gracious. <laughs> all Me and names. All I can think about is, uh, oh, gosh, uh, Simon and Garfunkel's Cecilia. Oh, Cecilia. Yeah, oh, yeah. You're breaking my... I love that song. I wonder if that's her full name. She doesn't ever say that, so probably not. Yeah. But it's not Cecil. And I... It's and I Ce- Cecil. Cecile. <laughs> Oh, sorry. I should say also, actually, that it's written with Lauren Peterson. Okay. And Lauren Peterson, um, Roxanne Cody brought her out on the stage, which was really cute. And she waved and said hello. All right. um, So I should have given her a shout out also. Go ahead. All right. Well, I have a couple more books. Um, And I don't know if I mentioned this one before. This was a... I I have two recent um, review copies from Naval Institute Press, Mm -hmm. who we met at Book Expo last year. Yeah. Naval Officers Under Hitler... The Men of Crew 34. It's about this one crew, and it's following their from their upbringing in the Weimar Republic all the way to post-World post, post World War II. And 
I was interested in this in part because one of my favorite fictional accounts of maritime, naval, German, Nazi, Navy. (laughs) How do you say that? Um, Was, oh my God. Time for some vitamin D injections, yeah, everybody. Let me, oh, can I even look at that? Let me see that this. That is hilarious. All right, well, there's the shadow divers. Okay. You know what? I, I don't remember the name of the novel, but we'll put that in the show notes. Um, but one of my favorite historic uh, nonfiction books is The Shadow Divers, The True Adventures of Two Americans Who Discovered Hitler's Lost Sub. And that was by Robert Curson, mm. which is a really good book. Um, and this Nazi sub was found off the coast of, off the East Coast here. Um, and when we used to spend, we used to have a family vacation on the Outer Banks every year. And I would, uh, I got into a habit of looking for nautical or ocean-based works to read. Yeah. And that was one I read uh, and, and really enjoyed. So anyway, I'll be reading that book eventually, and that, again, was Naval Officers Under Hitler, The Men of Crew 34 by Eric C. Rust. I don't think I said that before. Another one is American Sea Power in the World, The United States Navy in European and Near Eastern Waters, 1865 to 1917, which is interesting, you know, yeah. between Civil War and World War I. Uh, that's by William N. Still, Jr., and then the last one, I'm super excited about this. Just, this just came in the mail yesterday. It's Catherine J. Atwood's new book, Courageous Women of the Vietnam War, Medics, Journalists, Survivors, and More. And I really love um, Catherine Atwood's writing. I've read a couple of her no- her books now. They're nonfiction, um, usually intended for young adults oh. and above uh, level of readers, but they're really great. They're short biographies of different women. And so I've read I've read her World War One, World War Two. This might be her third or fourth that I've read. Oh. And I and I really enjoy um, how she brings these women and their work and experiences to light. Because I think it's really important because women have been left out of way too many stories. Left out of history a lot. Left out of history yeah. for sure. Um Excellent. So I'm looking forward to that. And that is from Chicago Review Press. And I should also add, Catherine read one of the poems for us. Yes. Yes. You can check out her poem on our YouTube channel. Indeed. Yeah. A little cat action, a little poe action. Thank you, Catherine, for contributing that. Right. So. And all of those poems, by the way, are on our BookTube channel. That's in the show notes. And they will be there in perpetuity, yes. so you can watch them mm-hmm. at your leisure. Yes. Yeah, Kate had mentioned that she was watching them kind of in batches. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Give, them a, give them a watch. Yeah. And click like so people know that you like their yes. posts. That's yes. a nice thing everybody to do. Everybody likes to be liked. Yeah. All right, well, everybody. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Happy, Happy reading. Happy reading. Thanks for listening to The Book Cougars with Chris Wallach and Emily Fine. To keep the bookish conversation going online... Join our Goodreads group or connect with us on social media. If you'd like to contribute to our hunt for a good read, you can donate on Patreon. And if you have a minute to review us, 
on whatever app you use to listen to us, we appreciate it. It can help other listeners find us. Thanks, everybody.